I've done everything I know to get ready for Christmas. I've handed out all my invites to all the people I know. I picked up my favorite Christmas sweater to wear that day. I've reviewed the candlelight safety tips. I've even reviewed songs for the Christmas choir. Let's go check it out first. We can always come back to the truck. So, how, how do you want to go in? We should go through the back door. Maybe he'll let us in. He's a kid. Kids are stupid. Help me to remember my life today for the Christmas choir and Pastor Tom sings a pitch today. Amen. This is my house now. I have to defend it. Merry Christmas, little fella. We know that you're in there and that you're all alone. This is it. Don't get scared now. Come tell me what to do, okay? Hello. Amazing actors we have at Five Stones Church. Incredible thespians, really Oscar nominations coming, I'm sure. Hey, if you're excited to be at God's house this morning, come on, let's make some noise for Jesus. I don't want to look right in the camera and welcome you, all of you joining us on the other sides of computer screens, tablets, and phones. We're so glad that you're along for the, for the ride, along part of our online community. We're so grateful that you never have to miss a Sunday. You can always join us either live stream or on playback. And I'm excited because it's the Christmas season. We are into Christmas. It's already December, so there's, there's no avoiding it now. I don't know if you like the music and the songs and the decor or not, but we're, we're into it now, you know. So you better get your jingling bells a ting ting a tingling because uh, there's there's just no avoiding it it's everywhere you go it's everywhere you look the whole world is in anticipation in some cases they don't even know why but they're anticipating the birth the celebration of the birth of the greatest man that ever lived the man Christ Jesus and we are excited to get into that season this uh, this year but before I get into that I do want to talk about one thing real quickly that's coming up next Sunday something I'm really excited about and that is our very first legacy offering you may have heard that um, from the announcement video, or if you've been coming uh, to Five Stones for some time, you've been hearing me talk about it, about what we're planning to do on this one day. Now, this is the one time a year we don't do a lot of offerings all throughout the year. Um, we just um, just don't, don't do that. But this is the one time a year where we decide we're going to go above and beyond our tithes. We're above and beyond the operational cost of the church. And here's what we're going to do. Everything that's given that's above that operational cost is going towards somebody either in our community or in our sphere of influence that we're going to absolutely just bless this season. And so our plan is to bless some of our local partners right here in Chattanooga, some folks that are, are, are with us and, and, and have the same heartbeat of us, which is to see poverty ended and, and homelessness ended. And so some of our partners in that, we just want to be able to bless. And some of our folks in Aguas Calientes, Mexico, you saw that, that we're going to have our very first ever mission trip over there in Mexico with Children's Cup, which is the organization that we support. And they're, they're all about getting gospel message to some kids, feeding some kids that would otherwise possibly not even eat that day. Uh, that's what they do. And they, we asked for a list. This is some things that, that they would like to see done. And, and they gave us a big long list because every mission partner has got plenty. And so we're going to take one of those and we're going to be able to bless that community um, with that thing. And I'm excited about all of us gathering together to work because not, not just um, our mission partners here, some of the things that we have in mind involve church planners. We've got church planning friends. We know the challenges, the struggles that can come with trying to start a church from the ground up. And so we've got a friend of this church, Pastor Derek, Derek and Nikki Dale, will be getting a Bright House Church this, this fall in, um, in Athens, Georgia. We want to be able to bless them. These are the things, the initiatives that we're going to give together towards on that day, as well as right here at Five Stones, next generation. We've got some plans that we want to see happen within the next generation. And then ultimately giving towards a facility of our own one day. These are are the things that we're going to do this once a year goal. And some, some people have asked me, do you have 
like a financial number that you're trying to hit. What's the financial goal? I'll just be honest with you. We don't have a financial number that we're trying to hit, but here's what we do have. We have a participation goal. I would love it if you um, would just hear from God. This is what you'll always hear from me. I'll never directly ask you to give. The Bible says that I shouldn't do that. Really, it, it, The Bible says actually what we should do is all already make up in our mind what we're going to give in our hearts and just, just do that thing. God loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver. And, and so I'll never ask you uh, to, to give, but I will do this. I'll ask you to ask God. And just whatever God puts on your heart to do that day, it's going to be exciting when we are able to partner together and just bless the socks off of some of our partners in the area. I'm really, really looking forward to that. But, but it, is, it is the Christmas season, right? And we're officially into it. And, and we just kicked off a, season, a series last Sunday where we're talking about all the traditions that we do. All of these things that we do at this time of the year, maybe we don't even know why we do them. We just, we just do them, right? It's, it's just something that's, that's become a tradition or expected. Like last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus is the what? Anybody remember? The light of the world. He's the light of the world that came down to save us. We talked about that and how we put these little lights on the tree and on the house because they represent something. There's all kinds of false lights out there that are trying to, to pull us in that direction and try and guide us into something that, that is a, a promise of light. But the reality is it, it just really just pulls us deeper into death. And so Jesus is the only one that can promise us real, true life. And so every time you see these little lights, it's a good reminder that his light pierced the darkness. And so there's, there's so many of those traditions. In, in fact, it makes me wonder how many of these traditions are we doing that we have no idea why we're doing it. We just, we just do it, right? It's just Christmas time, and that's what we do. It makes me think of this story I heard of a young married couple. They had just gotten married, and they were going to spend their very first Christmas dinner together. And so they were getting together, and the wife was going to prepare the meal, and she's, she's getting ready for, for the ham. She had prepared the ham, and her husband was watching her do it. And as she prepared, she cut the top end of the ham off and the back end of the ham, ham off. She threw that away and then put it in the pan and, and put it in the oven. And, and the husband said, well, honey, why do you do that? My mom never did that. Why, why do you do it that way? She said, well, that's how you prepare a ham. You cut the top end and the back end off, you put it in the, and that's how you do it. And she, he said, well, I've never seen it. Why, why do you do that? And he said, she said, well, I don't know. Let me, let me ask my mom. So she called up her mother and she said, Mom, why do we cut the ham, the top end of the ham and the back end of the ham off? Why do we do that every time we prepare it? She said, well, honey, that's how you prepare the ham. She said, yeah, but why? Why do we do that? She goes, well, I don't know. You'd have to ask my mother. That's how I learned how to cook the ham. And so she said, okay. So she called up her grandmother. She says, Grandma, why is it that we do this? She said, baby, I don't really know. You'd have to ask my mother because she was the one that taught me. And so determined to get to the bottom of this mystery, she hopped in her car, drove over to the nursing home where her great-grandmother was, found her, and they talked for a little while. And before she left, she said, you know, I have one question before I leave you. Why is it that we, when we cut, cook the ham at, at Christmas time, why do we cut off the top end and the back end before we put it in the pan? And the great-grandmother looked at her kind of confused, and she said, y'all do that? And she said, yeah. She goes, well, I don't know why you do it, but I did it because my pan was too small to fit the ham in it. And so this is the way, and so that's what we do, right? We just pass these traditions on to one another over time, just doing stuff, and we have no idea why. I think a lot of Christmas is like that, right? It comes this time of year, we break out the decorations, we staple the lights to the house, we, we watch the claymation reindeer, you know, we do all of these things, and we don't really even know why it is that we're doing them in the first place. And that's what we're doing in this, in this series, is to just look at all of these different distractions. Why, why, do, we, why do we get out the, the, the decorations like the snow globes and the lights and, and the, the nativity scenes? Why do we do these things? Why do we, we break out the figgy pudding? What is figgy pudding? Anybody? Anybody know? 
Like, that just sounds gross. But the song tells us to do it, so break out the figgy pudding. Like, there's so much of that stuff that we have no idea why we do, right? And yet we do it anyway. And, and, and it's almost like we've just come to expect that this is what we do at Christmas. Well, the truth is, the very first Christmas was anything but expected, not the way that it came about. In fact, the truth is, it, it was not, wasn't expected to happen that way at all, and it was in tumultuous and kind of chaotic times. And it's recorded for us in the book of Matthew, and I want to read it together with, with you this morning. In the book of Matthew, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to marry home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. Now, now here's the thing. I, I find it interesting that the Prince of Peace, right? That's a title for Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And, and the reason why we call him that is because he's the only one that promised to give us real peace. He, he promised to walk with us through the chaos of our lives. And the Prince of Peace was born in anything but peaceful circumstances, right? It's actually the opposite. There's just, it's just chaos. It's just crazy, chaotic turmoil. turmoil and, 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 and nothing about his birth was, was really peaceful at all. And in fact, it's almost as if God's trying to tell us something right there in the story of his birth, that, that even in difficult, painful circumstances, he can bring peace and he can bring hope. In fact, theologians call Jesus the, the already not yet kingdom. That's what they call it, that, that he exists. Theologians will say that, that his kingdom is already here, that he came to bring this kingdom, but it's not fully realized yet. yet you know, he came to bring us peace, he came to bring us hope, and came to bring us joy, but all of it is not yet fully realized. All the circumstances of his birth are pretty insane if you think about it. He came as a helpless baby. But think about that for a moment, right? The, the incredible, all-powerful, omniscient God, the God of creation decided to make himself vulnerable enough that he could be wounded, hurt, or killed. He came in the form of a baby. That's insane. And when he came to this life, he, he came in the flesh, walked among us, and not so that he could bring judgment, but, in, but instead to take on judgment for himself. See, if you were one of the characters of this story, Mary or Joseph or, or, or one of the people that were in the actual story, none of this would make any sense at all. Like, see, so many times I think we put out on our mantelpiece Mary and Joseph and, and the baby and the animals and all of this stuff, and we don't, we don't stop to consider that these were real people. These were real people going through real stuff, and it was a challenge and a struggle. None of that made any sense at all. Everything that they were going through didn't make any sense. But the truth is, is that what it feels like when you're going through a difficult moment? When, when your circumstances are unclear and things seem chaotic to you, doesn't it feel like none of this makes any sense? Maybe you look around at your world, and, and maybe there's brokenness in your circumstances, and you think, man, where is God in any of this? Like, God, are you even paying attention to what's going on in my life? Because this seems like, a, like it's all messed up. Well, the truth is, when Jesus came to this life, he was actually expected by some. There's some that were looking for him. They studied the scriptures. They understood that, that Jesus, the, the Messiah, was going to come. But here's what they didn't know. They didn't know that he'd come like that. They didn't expect that he would come in the form of a baby. They completely threw him for a loop. And it just, just makes me wonder, famous Jesus, when he walked among them and, and was there in the flesh among them, is it possible that even right now, as he moves among us, that we could miss him too? 
I think we can. I think sometimes God's trying to do something in your life. And because of the distractions we lose sight of, there's so many things to be distracted of in a season, right? There's, there's so many things that can pull our attention we can get distracted from, and we can end up missing Jesus. And, and some of them are good things. It's not even necessarily bad things. They're good things, just not the right word. If we're not careful, these distractions, these are good things, they distract us from the best thing. Because what, what Jesus wants to do with Thomas is peace, but all these other things can never really give us true, lasting peace. They give us peace for a moment, but it's temporary and it doesn't last. And so what we're doing in this series is we're critically examining these sources, right? Sources of, of hope and, and peace and, and joy. Today, peace is what we're going to look at. And we're going to try and recapture the original, real, true meaning of Christmas and find out in all of these sources which one of them are true. Because there's all these different alternative sources, sources that will offer you peace, right? They will offer you joy when you feel down. There are voids in your life that you try and fill, the voids like light when you feel lost, or voids like peace when the storms of life rage out of control. And so the, the idea here is that we find true source of peace. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been handed some news that just completely radically changed everything? Maybe it's good news. Maybe it's like, like you got accepted into the school. You didn't expect that they would accept you in that school, and, and yet you got in. Or, or maybe it's a job. You didn't think you qualified for that job. You applied anyway. And they said, yes, we like you for that job. Or maybe it's like a girlfriend that you, you didn't expect that she was going to say yes to you, and you proposed that you're Wow, she actually said yes. That's amazing. Maybe that, that was something that happened to you. Or maybe you found out you were pregnant. Wow, oh, this is Bible work. We're pregnant. We didn't expect that to come. When you have no news like that, what happens is that you bring about an usher in joy and hope and expectation of the future. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's great. But what about when you get news that's not positive? That shifts and radically changes your world. Stuff you didn't see coming. Like your aging parents are, uh, are forgetting where they are or who they are. That can be a shock. Or maybe your spouse walks in after a doctor's visit. You can just see on their face that the news was not good. The diagnosis was not good. That can, that can feel a little bit differently. Or, or maybe your, your job or your boss says there's going to be some cuts and you didn't make the cut. Right? Or, or you're losing your job or you're the place where you're going to live or stay. That kind of information, when you get that kind of information, it, it can be absolutely crushing. Like in the middle of that, you can think, man, what am I going to do? You can feel like your peace is destroyed. It's like everything's shattered and not going to pick up the pieces and somehow rebuild something in that moment. When you feel that way, my question is, what do you do when your peace is destroyed? Where, where do you run to? Where do you go to when it feels like your world is collapsing in on, on you and, and there's nothing broke, brokenness around you? That, that's the type of experience that Joseph and Mary were experiencing. They were real people going through a real situation, and they looked at what was going on, they had plans for their future, and they just received news that was completely different. Like, think about it for a moment. Imagine, men, if you were to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You got an idea, you're going to marry this woman, and you're going to have plans to, to grow old with her, and, and a future, and everything, and then she comes up to you and says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant, and the baby's not yours, right? Could you imagine what feelings would immediately impact you? It would be incredible feelings, feelings like maybe you feel betrayed, or feel like, like you're heartbroken, and, and, and your whole plans, so your whole future plans are completely crushed, right? They're shattered, and it's like your world's thrown upside down. Women, put yourself in Mary's position. Imagine being married. You're, you, you've got this plan to marry this man, and you're going to have kids and, and a life of your own, when all of a sudden a baby, uh, uh, an angel appears to you, an angel of God comes out of uh, nowhere and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, good news, caveat, it's not going to be Joseph's, it's going to be God's, right? That's a tough one. Like, this is a real woman that was experiencing that. It's not just a story that, that we hear about. She experienced that in real life. An angel said, you're going to have the Holy Spirit's baby. How do you even answer that? Uh, okay, sure, I guess. And now you've got to go tell Joseph. Like, hey, I, I, I'm pregnant, and, and, and it's God's baby. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough one. You've got to hope that he's going to experience, like, okay, he's going to believe that. He's going to buy into that. That's challenging. That's what these young people were going through. That's the life that they were dealing with, a lot of pain, a lot of fear, and it's a lot of chaos. But the, the interesting thing is if, if you continue to read this story, if you follow it along, you find that if you'll just step in lockstep with God, if you'll follow along with God, when things seem chaotic, when things seem out of control, that God will give you a glimpse, a hope in the middle of your pain, that he will not leave you, and he, will, he wants to bring peace. In fact, that's what he does. Number one in your notes, you could write this down. God brings his peace in the middle of our pain. That's what our God does. 
Joseph was a good man. He was faithful to the law, the Bible said, and he didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to just see her killed because that's, that's exactly what would happen. And it wasn't until the angel told him that, that he, should, he should do this that he decided to, to change his mind there. See, he's in real pain. Joseph's in this moment where he's a good man, a godly man, but, but his fiance just walked up and said, hey, I'm preggers and it's God's baby. That's a tough one to swallow, right? That's hard for him to, to believe. Now, see, what you, under, you need to understand is that um, the Jewish people, the way that they handled marriage was different than the way we do in our culture. Like, they, they took the covenant of marriage very, very seriously. And so when a young man and a young woman decided that they were going to be together, what they would do is, is something I think young couples ought to consider doing more of. They would take some time. In fact, they'd spend a whole year in pre- preparation, and they were trying to prepare to be the future husband and a future wife. And, and in fact, it was such a big covenant, a, a commitment. It wasn't just between two people. It was between two families. And so this was a big deal. When, when Mary comes up to him and, and he knows that they haven't been together, they haven't been uh, uh, consummated the marriage. See, they would live apart for this time. And then they would come together. They'd have a celebration. And then at that point, they would live together. But the whole world, the whole community looked at them as though they were married for this period. And so when she walks up and says, hey, I'm going to have a baby, that can only mean one thing, adultery. That's what it means to Joseph in that moment. Now, he was under, the Jewish people were under the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant law, which meant, and this is how serious they took the covenant of marriage. They said if someone were to commit adultery, what they do is pick up a bunch of rocks and throw it at that person until they're dead. And so Joseph just decided, because he's a good man and a godly man, and he loves this woman, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have her killed, but, but we're going to have to get a divorce. And see, maybe you found yourself in a similar situation where you didn't do anything wrong, the other party did, and you're just like, you're, you're feeling like, man, I didn't do anything wrong. See, Joseph was well within his rights. Like, according to the law, he was right. He could have her killed or murdered. Like, he could have her killed for this. Maybe you've been in a situation where it's like maybe a coworker or a relationship or a friendship, and you're thinking, man, I didn't do anything wrong, and I just have to deal with this person again and again and again, and I have to worry about forgiving them again after they've wronged me this way. This is the shock that Joseph was in. He was under a lot of pain and, and a lot of devastating uh, situation, and, and, and he's devastated. He sh- his life is shattered. His world's shattered. He's into the pain and the chaos of this. And just put yourself in that scenario. That you feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and everything is falling apart or your dreams for the future. In fact, I can't help but to think there might be somebody here. And some people are going through a difficult time. And maybe that's what you're feeling, like the, the weight of the world's on your shoulders. And maybe you've had some dreams crushed or, or your hopes are shattered. Or maybe there's, there's feelings of, of loss. Or, or maybe it's sickness. Like maybe there's, there's a sickness that's been a, a diagnosis that's, that's taken you by surprise or or maybe it's a a divorce in your own family either in your family or someone that you know and and you're having to deal with all of this stuff or or addiction maybe you find yourself in in recovery or somebody in your family dealing with that thing And, and here's the question how is it that Jesus can offer peace I mean real peace how can Jesus give us peace in the middle of our chaotic storms that happen to us in real life like how can he really truly offer peace for us Well, here's how he can do it. He can do it because he's actually been where you are. He's actually felt what you feel. He's sat where you sit. He knows exactly what you're going through because he's gone through it too. In fact, he's the only God of all the other fake gods. He's the only true God, and he's the only one that has been in your seat. He's been flesh. He knows exactly what you're going through and all the struggles and the challenges that come to it. Because when he came into this world, he actually came into our chaos. He lived as one of us, and he knows exactly what it feels like. 
Can you imagine what Joseph's reputation would be like the moment that he says yes to stay with Mary? Like, I don't know if you know this, but he lived in Nazareth, and, and that town was not a giant town. Most theologians think it was somewhere between 200 and 400 people. This is not a big place. So when you live in a town of 400 people, everybody knows your business, right? And the minute that Joseph said yes to sticking with Mary is the moment that he became the guy who stuck with Mary. You know, like it, he, he became the, the, the sucker that's going to raise somebody else's baby. That's who Joseph would be. Do you think that his business, his carpentry business might, might not be affected? Like, do you think that somebody didn't say, well, you're going to have your table built by Joseph? You know, he's with Mary and Mary. And kids, right? Parents talk. So the parents talk sometimes and, and kids listen. Sometimes it's bad and they, they gossip and they talk and the kids listen. You, you, can you imagine for one minute that there was probably a kid on the playground playing with Jesus that said, my dad said your mom slept around. Jesus experienced that. He knows exactly what it's like to feel looked down on. He knows what it's like when your friends betray you. He knows what it feels like when, when nobody is, is around, everybody left you that was supposed to be there. He knows what it feels like to be persecuted by the, own, by the very people that you're trying to help, and judged by your own government and sentenced to death. Jesus experienced all of this. So, so the question is, how does Jesus get peace in the middle of his storms? Here's the key. I think Jesus knew exactly where to run to when he had time to pass. He ran in the presence of God. He ran to the people of God. He ran around prayer. He got around the presence of God. He worshiped God. Jesus knew exactly where to run to. And my question to you is, this is where you run. And the world is collapsing all around you. Around you. Because it happens, right? And you should know this. Jesus did everything right. And yet they still crucified him. Unlike us, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He did it all perfectly. And yet it still led to death. And what does it tell us? It means that just following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean your life is going to be devoid of pain. It does mean, however, that he's going to show you purpose in the middle of it. That's what God wants to do. It may be painful for a moment, but... Purpose is what God wants to show you. See, we want relief, but what we want is relief. Relief is just a temporary reprieve from our pain. It's just a temporary moment where, where we forget about our pain. But true peace is when our pain gets transformed into something that we can use, and that's what God wants to do. True peace comes when we recognize that despite the chaos all around us, if we can be honest, inside of us, God's still in control. That God's in the middle of this stuff. You don't have to give up hope because He's got something that He wants to do in the middle of this. And truthfully, God's peace is not the absence of fear. In fact, it's just the presence of God in spite of the fear. That's what peace is, and that's what God wants to do because everywhere He goes, He brings peace with Him. Here's the second thing he does. He, he brings purpose to our pain. That's what God wants to do. Everybody say purpose. God wants to bring purpose. See, God brought an angel to Joseph who appeared to him in the dream. And you know what he said? He said, don't be afraid. And I, th- I love that. It's a great opener. And I think it's, it's twofold. One, mainly because he's an angel, right? And I don't know where we got this understanding that angels are like these fat winged babies that fly around with wings and stuff. That, that is not what angels are in Scripture. Every time you see an angel appearing to someone, they're terrified. Shepherds, Joseph, everybody, they're, they're, they're terrified of these angels. So this angelic being comes and appears to him in this incredible way. God is getting to Joseph. God might be trying to do that to you this morning through a preacher. Say, hey, listen, pay attention. So he says, do not be afraid because of that reason. Here's the second reason, that I, and I think it's a really good tactic, that when you find yourself in the middle of chaos, don't be afraid. Don't rely on fear because it's not going to help you. He says, don't be afraid, and there's so much that he could be afraid for because he's ridiculed. The moment he says yes to this, he's going to be ridiculed for keeping an, adult, an adulterous wife. He's going to be the sucker that, that is raising somebody else's love child. And so there could be fear. God's asking to do something hard. It's a difficult season. He says, I want you to raise a boy. I want you to trust that he's, that he's from me, and I want, I want you to accept that he's him as your own. That's what I want you to do. In fact, he tells him this, too. He maybe have considered this. He says, I want you to name him Jesus. That's, that's a, that is awesome. asking Joseph to die to himself in that. Have you ever thought about that? This is an extremely patriarchal honor society. Naming your son is a big deal. And he says, I want you to do all of those things, and you don't even get the dignity to name him. 
you're going to have to call him Jesus. You're going to accept him as your own boy, and you don't even get to do this. In fact, you have to name him Jesus. There's a reason why he wanted him to be named Jesus. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's where we get Yahshua, Joshua, or ultimately Jesus. And Joshua in the Old Testament was people, was the guy that took people of God, and he took them out of the desert into the promised land. And Jesus is the second Joshua. He's the, the different Joshua because unlike getting him out of the desert, God, Jesus takes out us all as people that are bound up in, in sin and the slavery of shame and the brokenness of our past, and he frees us from that. That's what Jesus means. And he said, you've got to name it Jesus because he's going to be the one to do just that. And see, Joseph had to accept that. He had to accept that, that assignment that was given to him, that, that, that he would do that. And here's my question to you is, what's your assignment? In this season, what is God asking you to do in this season? Have you considered that? See, I think so many times we lack peace because we don't see the purpose. Like, we don't really even know what we're supposed to be doing. And so we end up seeking peace in places that can't give us peace. See, here's the truth. You should know this. That God designed you. He loves you. And he's got a purpose for you. And it's not just meander through life, wake up and do work and pay bills and, and lather, rinse, repeat. Like, that, that is not what he has for you. He's got something bigger in store for you. In fact, it's a good segue for next steps. Never Deborah talk about that. We, right after service today, you ought to give us just, just one hour of your life. In fact, the whole next steps is three hours, not 30,000 hours, not 3,000 hours, not 300, three hours. And in three hours, what we want to do over the course of three weeks is just kind of help you find out what your purpose is. What did God hardwire you to do? And we want to give you a bunch of free resources to do that. Because we're confident of this. God wants you to do something. He's got an assignment, a big assignment for you. But he also has a little assignment for you as well, something to do inside of this season. You know, we go through seasons, right? You know that? They mirror the seasons that we have out in the world, right? There's summertime seasons and winter seasons and spring seasons and fall seasons, and they're all kind of different. Now, if you didn't know any better, if you looked around at the world today right now and, and you went outside and it's the winter season, you would think, what good is this season? Like, nothing can possibly good happen out of this season. Everything's cold and dead and brown and, and just, why would we even have this? But there's a purpose inside of this season. Like God wants to do something inside of it now. So the truth is, we can't pick the seasons. If it were up to us, we'd pick three summers and a spring, right? You know what I mean? We would never have those winter moments in our, in our lives. But it's not up to us to determine the season. God picks those. What is up to us, what he leaves up to us, is to, to find out what we're supposed to do when you find yourself in that season. He wants something for you to do. God says, I've got something for you to do. And when you find purpose, you'll find peace. Maybe you're, you're, you're being called by God to do something hard in this season, like Joseph. Maybe it's a tough or difficult season. Maybe it's forgiving someone. I keep having this feeling today that somebody here needs to forgive somebody. That maybe, maybe you forgive them of something unforgivable. Maybe they've done something in your life and it's really hard to think about that, to, to get them to, to give you, to, to offer them forgiveness in the middle of that. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's peace inside of that. Maybe God's calling you to serve someone in the middle of your pain. You know, yesterday we went out to Isaiah 117 house and we had a ton of volunteers that the dream teamers that just came out there. And if you're not familiar with them, this is a great organization that what, what they do is they offer hope for kids in the middle of a challenging and difficult season where they're getting taken out of their environment and put into the foster care system. And so they give them some peace. They asked us, would you come out here and decorate for us for Christmas? And so we had a ton of volunteers that just came out. The church, thank you for your generosity. We bought them Christmas trees and, and lights. We put lights on. Some of the guys were putting lights out in the middle of the rain, pouring rain. And they're just serving and serving. And I couldn't help but to think, not everybody here is serving out of a heart of joy. Some people, there was enough of us that I couldn't help but to think, some people are serving in the middle of pain. Right? There's some struggles, some difficulties, some adversity that they were struggling. Sometimes when you serve out of your pain, it'll bring peace. The Bible says this, in the book of Isaiah, it says, So don't fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is saying, like, there's going to be situations that are going to bring anxiety, that's going to bring fear, but he's with you in that. He's with you in those tough situations where the future seems foggy at best. That's what it was for Mary and Joseph. They were in the middle of a situation where they didn't know what to do. What a hard assignment that was asked of them. Think about it. God is asking them because Jesus, in, in this form, right, is a baby. He can be easily attacked. And he's saying, what I want you to do is keep and carry the word of God, the Savior of the world. I want you to carry that and protect that and carry it to where it needs to be. The truth is, is that really that much different than our assignment as well? Like, we've been given 
the word of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've received the Savior of the world. He's in you. And he's saying, I want you to keep and carry it into this generation. I want you to take it where it needs to go. I want you to take these little things inside of your worship guide. And this looks like a piece of paper. It's just a round little interesting thing. But you know what it is? It's an ambassador that you can carry with you. And God's giving you an assignment. There's got to be somebody in your life that you know this Christmas needs the hope, the promise. You need to give this to him. The truth is, sometimes these assignments can be challenging and difficult, but, but I think God knows exactly what he's doing. Because God knows that, it, that what he was, he was needing was somebody that would listen to God and obey what he was saying. Because there was going to be moments when the enemy was going to literally try to kill Jesus and snuff him out. And he would need somebody that would listen to God, hear from God, and be willing to just, just say yes. He wasn't looking for somebody that would say, well, God, I don't know if I should do this in this season right now. I've got a lot of stuff going on. No, he needed somebody that would hear from him and actually do what he said so that Herod or, or whoever tried to kill Jesus would not be effective. See, here's the truth of the matter. You might not see what God is trying to do in the middle of your situation right now. It might not make any sense to you, but God might be trying to build something inside of you for something later. And later you start to see the purpose of God and you say, oh, that's why I went through it. That's why I had to have that difficult time. That's why I had to learn this thing because God's got a plan and a purpose and he sees the end from the beginning, which means that if you feel like everything's chaotic, everything's falling apart, you should not fear. No, 365 times it says in your Bible, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. 365 times. It's almost as if he wanted to say something like that every day of the year. He wanted to tell you because he knew you're going to face moments of difficulty and struggle and strain and you're not going to see God in the middle of it. And he says, listen, don't be afraid because number three, and you know, it's God promises to be with us in our brokenness. That's what he does. He promises that he's going to be with us despite what we fear, despite what we face. I love the, the words that said all of this took place in verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord has said to the prophet. In other words, I saw it coming. I knew this was going to happen. I know it's not what you planned. I know it's not what you would want, but I saw that this was coming, and I'm trying to work something out so that you can become someone that you're supposed to be. See, Joseph, all he did was do the best that he possibly could with what he was given, and that's all God asked you to do. It's in the middle of this thing. You just use what God has given you, do what you can with what you are, with what you have right where you are. God says that's all you can really do, and the truth is following God means sometimes you're going to follow him into difficulty. It's just true. You know, the birth of Jesus was actually an all-out assault. It was the first all-out assault onto the brokenness of the world. So he decided that, that when Jesus came to this world, it was going to assault the brokenness that is around us. That's what he was going to do. But the kingdom of darkness will fight back. Anytime you push back against something that has power or is powerful, it will push back against you. In the same way, like you might be getting closer to God, and then all of a sudden you start experiencing something, and you're like, man, why am I facing this opposition and this obstacle? It's because the kingdom of darkness does not want you to push against the kingdom of light. It doesn't want you to take ground. I think all those people getting baptized today, just amazing. When they said yes to Jesus, they made a, a decision to go public with their faith. They ought to know, and this is a, a, just a, a true statement. The enemy's going to try and push back against you. And he's going to try and get you knocked off course. Why? Because he doesn't want you to take ground. He knows how powerful you are. If you, if you just use your testimony, because this is all Jesus asked you to do, be a witness. He didn't say defend me. He said just be my witness. Say this is what God has done to me. I think he could do that for you. And he knows, that the enemy knows that you're a dangerous person. Jesus knows that you would be, be in this situation. He says don't worry, don't have to fear. Because I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never fail. I'll never forsake you. But not just that. See, this is the goodness of our God. He said, I'm going to put you together with some people. The church. You know, Jesus said that, he said, I'm going to build my church. You know what that word is in Greek? Ekklesia. It's a Greek word that means the called out ones. That you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, the called out ones. I'll build them. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. 
In other words, he said, listen, I'm, a, I'm not just going to be inside of you and beside of you and go before you and be your rear guard. I'm also going to put you together with some other people that you might feel like, man, I'm low and I'm broken right now and I don't know what to do. He said, no problem. You just link arms with a brother and a sister that's going to see you through it. I know it seems like everything's falling apart right now, but I got a plan and I put you with a group of people that understands it and gets it and they're fighting for me and I'll never leave you and it'll work out. That's what God wants to tell you in the middle of your brokenness. I love how he said this in 1 Peter. He said, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. We've been given mercy. He says, you know what you do with that? Give it away. Just give it freely. Somebody's in the dark. Go bring a light to them. Joseph had a, a really tough assignment that he had. And he said yes despite the ridicule that would be that he knew would come from that i think god chose joseph and he chose mary because he knew that they would be people that would say yes to him i believe that's why god's chosen you for the season that you're in too and this is what he says he says my ways are not like your ways my thoughts are not like your thoughts see the first thing that we try to do the first thing we want to do when we experience pain and and hurt and discomfort and the pain of our past and it, it comes back well the first thing we want to do is run from it we want to run to so many different things and run away from it and and the truth is I, and I'm not saying that there are not some things that need judgment like God's judgment needs to be inside of that and, and the right thing needs to happen I'm just saying if you choose to to seek after vindication rather than peace rather than mercy if you just choose like yeah I, instead of of, of accepting the peace of God and trying to walk inside of that, I want to retaliate. And maybe you're well within your rights. They did that to you and they were wrong and, and, and it's time that I retaliate. Somebody ought to do something about that and I'm going to be the one to tell. And if you just seek vengeance, listen, I've known people that have sought vengeance and they got all they, they wanted. Buckets and buckets of vengeance. You know what was at the end of that? Not peace. Just more vengeance. It's an emptiness. God's saying, listen, my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. See, the truth is you ought to handle your life a little bit more like a snow globe. Do you like snow globes? Yeah, too bad, I do. I like snow globes. I think they're, they're beautiful. You know, they got this little scene in there, and no matter the snow globe, there's just something pretty inside of it, and you see it in this little bubble, this little sphere. But the truth is, like, the snow globe is not really complete, is it? Like, it's actually broken. Because it's not until it was placed in the hands of someone bigger than them, than it, and turned upside down, that you start to see the reality, the beauty that it was designed for. So many times in this life, we try to run from our pain, try to run from our hurts. We don't want to feel like that. We try to, try to numb it in so many different ways. And God says, listen, if you'll just place your life in my hands, in the hands of someone bigger than you, it might mean that I have to shake it up and turn your world upside down. And it may not feel comfortable, and it may not feel good, but it's not until your world is shaken upside down and spun around that you actually see the beauty that God had designed. You know what happens if you just leave that sit there? If I just leave it sit, eventually it settles right back to how it was before. In the old ways. It's right back to its brokenness. That's why you've got to constantly put your hands, your life in the hands of your God. 
You've got to constantly put your hurts and your pains and your brokenness and the stuff that, that you've got to go through and the stuff that you weren't even wrong about and they were wrong. You need, to, you need to put that back in his hands. And it might mean that there are moments where he flips things upside down and he shakes up your life. But I'm telling you right now, that's the beauty of it. I know you can't see it right now. I know in the middle of it, it just seems like chaotic shaking. And it's like, God, where are you in this? But God's trying to paint something beautiful in your life so that later you look back and you say, oh, God, thank you for pulling me through that, for giving me real peace. That's what God wants to give you.